welcome to the My Family Coach podcast. I'm Claire and in each episode you'll find me interviewing a guest expert to find out more about the tricky world of child behaviour, all in handy 15 minute-ish bite-sized chunks. Then I'll send you away with three handy practical tips that you can use at home. And if this episode leaves you wanting more, you can watch, listen and read from our wide range of resources while you're on the go on the My Family Coach website. This is Series 3, Episode 1, and this week I'm joined by esteemed co-host Debs Kemp, and we're talking about difficult conversations. Debs is an experienced assistant head, and she has been since 2010 working in secondary schools. She does a lot of work with staff and student well-being, as well as student voice, and we're really excited to have an interview with her and hear about her perspectives on difficult conversation. Here's the interview. Hi Debs, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Really excited to have you here today. It's um, It's been a while. We're actually face-to-face today Yeah, recording. very strange experience. We haven't had a face-to-face for a while, have we? No, it's really, really nice, actually. But we're talking on the episode today about difficult conversations. Hopefully, we won't have a difficult conversation, <laughs> but you never know. The first question, as you know, as esteemed uh, co-host, is what are you reading at the moment? Um, well, uh, yesterday, actually, I picked up um, a book called My Sister Lives on the Mantelpiece by Annabelle Pitcher, which is a book for young uh, teenagers. Um, it's about, uh, well, it's got lots of really, yeah, quite interesting themes, quite hard hitting themes, actually, mm. one of which is bereavement. Um, there's also um, a parent who is struggling with uh, the bereavement of his child um and and then sort of resorts to alcohol and becomes you know drinks too much um and then there's also sort of things like losing a pet and you know things mm. that young people will be faced with at sometimes in their lives it's a it's a really good book it's quite challenging um but it's certainly a really good book um that kind of could open up um difficult conversations about those sorts of issues that uh, there's also sort of um a kind of some challenging elements of uh, tackling racism and different attitudes from um, parent attitudes and young people's attitudes. And there's also some stuff about teachers as well and about uh, relationships with teachers. So it's got a lot in there. Mm. It's very well written. Uh, It's a very good read. I think uh, I know that um, the young people in my school really enjoy reading it because it's one of their readers. Um, So it's a a good book to to have some conversations about. Yeah, because I was thinking as we were planning this podcast a little bit that using non-fiction and fiction as a way to help broach difficult conversations I think is really important that using fiction as a way of a a way in like a gentle way in for Mm. those conversations I think can be really powerful definitely and it kind of takes the personal because you're talking about fictional characters but they may touch on issues that may uh, directly or indirectly relate to your own personal family circumstances uh, or you know friendships that you have with um you know other other young people may have touched on those issues so it's quite a good way in um and because the writer is you know praised for being fairly honest and hard hitting actually you know she doesn't shy away from the topics which i think is good and and some people find them find it quite challenging as a text but actually that's that's quite a good thing i think well, considering we're talking about difficult conversations, I think a, a challenging book on the topic is is right up the right street. Mm. I'm reading at the moment 
almost like the polar opposite to a fiction book, but a non-fiction book um, around the teenage brain. It's called Blame My Brain, The Amazing Teenage Brain, um, and it's by uh, Nicola Morgan. It, it's kind of like the polar opposite. It's all the, the facts around how teenagers change in their brain makeup uh, during puberty and, and what's going on. It's written in a um, like a child or teenage friendly way, but it's really accessible for parents mm. as well. And I guess as as a way of understanding a bit more about those those changes that are that are going on and biologically and physiologically what's happened. It's really mm. yeah, it's a really clear book. And I think it's really important to understand how the teenage brain works and read into that research because it certainly informed some of my training and definitely informed my working with young people. Um, you know, recently done some training with staff on the teenage brain and. I think it then again, it like depersonalizes. So you're kind of thinking, okay, this is actually a physical, uh, biological reaction to a conversation. And, uh, you know, no will in the world of, of wanting to have a conversation at the moment where your adrenaline is running high and you're, you're you know, sweating and, and having a physical, physiological mm. reaction to a conversation is not, you're not going to have a good conversation at that point. So understanding when that happens and when that kicks in is really important and those sorts of books actually give you that real understanding of what's going on and depersonalize it for you so hopefully as an, as an adult having difficult conversations with the young people you can kind of step away and go okay i get what's happening here i need to maybe take a moment let them have half an hour or whatever it needs for that physio physiological reaction to kind of calm in both of you isn't yes it? Yeah. absolutely and, yeah and there's, there's something really nice about those books where you're learning about what's going on in the brain that it might be aimed at the child mm. or teenager but actually we can reflect it on ourselves as as parents carers and think about how all of those things might be affecting us I definitely because we're all human beings aren't yeah. we and we all get annoyed by stuff and one of the things in my training was about you know which buttons are being pressed right now in this particular instant from a young person and then vice versa which buttons are we pressing for those young people and how can we avoid all of that button pressing that goes on? Definitely. Yeah. Well, we also on the podcast, as you know, we like to find out a little bit more about your background experience uh, on the topic that we're talking about today. Well, um, if you've listened to any other of um, you know previous podcasts, um, I have been teaching for quite a long time. I think it's probably well since 1988 I started teaching. So. And as a teacher um, and as a as a parent as well, um, those conversations with young people um, I have on a daily basis, uh, you know, and also I lead on uh, year groups, but particularly my role currently is leading on well-being for staff and, and students. Um, but just those, you know, as a leader in schools, I'm regularly having difficult conversations with students and regularly reminding myself of all of the reading and research I've done about how to manage and de-escalate. I mean, really my my kind of, uh, you know, main approach to um, difficult conversations is always to de-escalate mm. and always to give time to listen. Um, and those always have the best outcomes. You know, I know that if I try and push a conversation too hard or I don't listen um, effectively, then it's not gonna go as well as if I do. And And for me, Whenever I know that there's a difficult conversation coming up with a child, the first thing I'll say is, what's happened? 
how you know how you're feeling and just let them have that moment and that mm. sometimes quite a long moment to listen and hear um because i think in in schools and and at home in in your family um it's when we don't as adults give uh, people a voice and for me i'm incredibly um passionate it's something that i you know i really sort of think is incredibly important is about giving voice mm. and hearing the voice of the young person you're talking to because they do get very frustrated when something's gone wrong or they feel like they have been um, unjustly treated. Um, that's and, and if they're not heard, then that kind of compounds it. So yeah, lots of experience in difficult conversations uh, in my daily life as a teacher, as a wellbeing lead, um, you know, managing year groups, etc. Um, so it's my daily bread and butter, really. Mm, and I was just thinking as you were talking there, particularly about home and, and how you might approach some of those more difficult conversations with young people at home. Yeah, I think um, from my experience as a, a parent and as a teacher, um, I know that those conversations are so important um, and they have to happen uh, on a daily basis. You know, not big conversations, but it's that being always there for your child um to listen when they're when they want to when they're ready to having that open open conversation there was a recent uh, report from the commissioner um uh rachel d'souza dame rachel d'souza um commissioner for england for young people and she was uh she's done a lot of um recent sort of conversations with young people about um, sex education, for example, and those difficult conversations you might have at home. Um, and one of the things that came up from that was really, I think I really agree with, is that young people want to have those conversations. They want to have them much more often than we might expect. They do not want the big conversation because mm. that's awkward and embarrassing, mm. but they want to know that they've got uh, an open access to a conversation when they need it. Um, and that was really, really clear that came out from that report. And also they were saying maybe a little bit younger than we think. Mm. Um, and it's a bit scary, isn't it, to have a conversation? I know in my own experience as a parent, my two children, both of them dealt with conversations about sex ed very differently. I can imagine, yeah. One of them was like, <laughs> I don't want to hear any of this and kind of literally put her hands over her ears. And the other one was very open and wanted to have those conversations. But with the child who put her hands over her ears, I knew that that was just that reaction at the time. Mm. You know, my own experience as a, as a child with a, a stepfather who kind of came into my life when I was sort of about nine or ten. He, he tried to have a conversation with me on day one and asked, you know, for an open conversation and I wasn't ready. And uh, sadly, he didn't try again. And, and I was too scared to have to open it up. Mm. He was the adult. So it, I did, didn't, you know, really have a great uh, rapport with him until much later on because um yeah it was a tricky it was a tricky um it was a tricky barrier to overcome and i think it's really important to remember as a parent that you know if you do get rejected at having a conversation keep trying go back have a have another conversation try a different angle remember that they are children and mm. sometimes they're not ready and you've just got to be there always open I think being yeah being available that sort of has, has come out from what you've been talking about. I actually was thinking about a um, a young person that I spent quite a lot of time with across my working career more so than at home and um, he's on the autistic spectrum and 
for him, understanding about puberty, sex education, super, super important, but it became quite clear. He would ask me, I guess some people would perceive them difficult conversations about puberty and asking me difficult, you know, in inverted commas, questions. I was able to just be really bluntly honest with him. And it, it's not embarrassing. It's like, this is the facts of life. It, he was, I think, about 13 when he asked me um, about growing hair on his genitals and we were talking about it and he was absolutely shocked by the information and just sort of fact it happened to come up with what we were talking about and he was you know like visibly shocked it's not you know almost can laugh at it about how shocked he was but at the age of 13 it's um I guess it's a shame that maybe those difficult conversations hadn't come up before mm. be it at school be it at mm. home and to be honest with him, it, some of it might have gone over his head and maybe those conversations had, had happened before. But without that conversation with me, I'm wondering, would he have just grown hair and actually got really frightened about it and not been able to speak to someone else about it? So for me, sometimes it is that realisation about how important those conversations are, because I, I think he would have been genuinely upset with how his body was changing without knowing some of those things. Mm, so, so important. It is, yeah. Yeah, and I think, um, yeah, I think maybe our society uh, in Britain is a little bit more closed, <laughs> perhaps. And, you know, that maybe, you know, I have um, family in other parts of the world and they do tackle it very differently. Um, uh, and I think, and I think it's all about practice. You know, once you have a difficult conversation once, you can have another one and then you can have another one and it becomes not difficult anymore it's just being brave remembering you know that you're the parent and the adult and that actually it's it's probably just as difficult for them and you know and and not the other thing is about not really taking it personally if they don't want to have that conversation yeah. at that point because I was just thinking that what if you get at home like that just no entry so you talked about your daughter being la 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 yeah. <laughs> no thank you but <laughs> like, what what do we do when we get that no thanks because it needs to happen, mm, right? Definitely. And and there is a little bit of you that feels a bit like rejected mm. when they don't want to listen at that point. And I think that's the point where you think, no, it's not about rejection. It's just about, yeah. So you you just have to keep trying and keep finding a different way. Uh, like we were talking at the beginning, you know, trying sort of non-fiction conversations that are not so personal, depersonalise it, um, talk about other people or other situations, mm. just you know, take out, take out the, the the personal as much as you can and, and just say, oh, this is a tricky, you know, even be, speak it out, you know, this is, oh, this is a tricky I'm conversation. Feeling. Yeah, and use humour as well and, you know, and and finish it off nicely and, or don't finish it off and it doesn't matter and, oh, let's move on or should we do something else or um, it's, a, it's a brief connection uh, that might have to be revisited again and again and again and, um, but you know, obviously not relentless. <laughs> you must Otherwise, talk about yeah, this. we will be doing. Let's this. talk Ten about pubic hair. Come on, let's yeah, go for definitely. it. Definitely. But I mean, you know, it's not just about sex ed, isn't it? No, it's all those conversations that you have. You need to have. Um, it's about um, you know talking about social media, for example, or um, difficult conversations about bereavement, as I was talking about earlier. Mm. We have to have lots of difficult conversations, and once you start, I think uh, three seconds of confidence is a really good rule of thumb you know once you start everything kind of is okay usually but 
um it's the starting of it that's that's quite tricky mm. because when do i start when do i say it you know um and the other thing the other good tip really is probably about um where it happens you know, on a walk is actually a really nice mm. thing to do because you are walking straight on you're not necessarily having direct eye contact you've got distractions you're out and about um that's quite helpful mm. so you're not you're right let's sit down we're going to have a serious conversation that makes it no do you know i mean i don't know if people want to take my mum's tactic but it was to trap you in a car <laughs> so when you're on a car journey you obviously yeah. can't get out mid-journey so mm -hmm. then drip feed in some really difficult conversations about difficult things and you can't jump yes. out of the car unfortunately and yeah. have to be part of it but i don't know i don't know if we're going to take my mum's uh, yeah. tactic as well. <laughs> that's quite good that still has the kind of not having to look at each yeah, other yeah 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 you can look the other direction look out the window yeah. and um yeah i think i think those sorts of situations are quite good and but also you know there's an end because the journey ends and then the dynamic yeah changes, yeah so. maybe it was really Especially driving to scotland <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just go on forever and ever i think as well there, I mean, there's some posh psychological um, thing that you're describing where you're distracted with something else and then open up. Yeah. I can't remember the, the posh term for it. But one thing I do know from experience is that playing a game, doing something else and drip feeding in quite yeah, tricky yeah. Com conversations is really powerful because it's the focus isn't mm. on, you know, us being, mm. you know, really intense. It's actually maybe a a joyful joyous occasion where you're mm. playing cards but then you're saying oh that you know that was really tough about mm. you know the the dog dying or mm. you know whatever difficult things going on and for me particularly with my nieces and nephews I, I think about that's how we've had some really nice difficult conversations mm. where there's there's not it's quite low stakes mm. it's not a lot of pressure I think mm. that makes a big difference and I think actually young people want to talk about these things it's just that they don't know how to mm. necessarily. And the longer you leave a gap about talking about these things, the harder it is. Um, and then it builds up, um, you know, a barrier or, I mean, and one of the things I, I do with my family and we do it regularly is we sit down as a family and we say, okay, what's, what's going on for all of us? And we, we do actually do that in quite a formal way um and we all get a chance to talk and we all get a chance to say actually this has been really getting to me about this particular thing and it's incredibly powerful and we all usually end up having a good old cry um and having a really lovely hug um and it really moves us forward as a family and i think um that has been um you know built us as a very very strong team because we do talk about things and we do air the grievances mm. and the 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 challenges and the and the sibling rivalry and the mm. what's annoying about dad or whatever it is or you know and you know we have you know difficult yeah difficult conversations that I had early on regularly as a family pattern and that's been really helpful. So you're really talking about having things set up from a really young age because mm, that would be maybe yeah. as teenagers that would be quite difficult wouldn't it to yeah be, hello definitely yeah definitely i think for us we started it really really young um so it was just it was just the norm for our family to do that and i think that's quite difficult it would be it would be more challenging to do you could do on, you, but... you could do it and yeah. you, you, things become routine quite yeah, quickly don't do. they but it'd be yeah yeah maybe a bit bit more tricky one of the things that I've, I've introduced in my current school is something called a well-being wheel 
which is a physical uh, circle in segments, a bit like um, um, Trivial Pursuit mm. sections. Um, and each section, it has a title. Uh, you can change these, but things like one segment might be health, one might be friendships, one might be school, one might be hobbies, one might be family. And they have to fill in the well-being wheel according to how um, good they're feeling about that. So if you colour in the entire segment of family that means you're feeling great about your mm. family and everything's going well uh but you know you might be having difficulty with the family so you might um you know fill it in half and then you actually share that and ha- and say look this is what my well-being wheel's looking like today hobbies is really low for many students who've been filling it mm. in the last week it's been super low because of the pandemic um and uh you then then it enables you to have a conversation because you've got something physical in front and the parent uh, or the teacher or whoever's using it can go oh that's interesting that's brilliant that looks really full like you've got loads of great things on your friendships segment but your health you've got a little bit low mm. you know what's going on there and then you can talk about what what can you do to make that better um, and it's only a captures a moment in time so it's not I make sure that we reiterate to the young people that we're working with that actually this is a, just a snapshot and this will change. Mm. It's not, oh, right, your hobbies are low, that's it. You're a low hobbies person. It's just that that's, that's why they why are, are. Yeah. Um, and then we do them regularly. So we do them every six weeks or so with the students um, to just reassess where they're yeah. at. And it's a really good thing. It's great to do for adults as well because it gives you a, like, a look at your physical and, and yeah. mental well-being um, and gives a really good picture and, and helps you self-evaluate. And you don't have to have a conversation about it. It can just be a self-reflective yep. tool. Um, but that's a really good thing to do. Yeah, and I, thinking about the the home environment and what you were mentioning about having almost family meetings, if you're not quite there yet with family meetings, mm. what a nice collaborative thing to do together about our well-being as a family. Mm. And I suppose if there's been a really difficult situation that's cropped up, a bereavement, mm. family separation having those tangible mm. items where you're opening up discussions about what's lacking mm. with that person or what's going mm. really well, that might be really helpful, I think, mm. in those difficult times and open up those, those conversations. Mm. So you've got me thinking, actually, about some... Yeah, some and it might just highlight something you didn't know about or it might uh, actually be something you think, oh, actually, they're, they're not feeling as, as you know, struggling with this area of their life as much as I yeah, thought. Yeah. And, and that can be really positive, too. And it just gives hope for change, yeah. uh, dialogue and hope for change. What yeah. can we do to make yeah. things even better than they are? And keeping it in that positive way rather than reflecting on like, it. Oh, this is yeah, yeah. going so badly. Exactly. It's yeah. really important to do that. But, you know, there there is a lot out there. I think there are examples of well-being wheels uh, on the internet, different types. So, you know, if people were interested listening, uh, they could definitely find find some examples of those we'll put we'll put some um in the links yeah Yeah, for sure i think that's great now it's 21 minutes gone of the podcast this is a 15 minute podcast so we must do a really quick sum up which is obviously the the top tips did i say that right yeah top tips quite hard to say (laughs) give me give me you kind of talked about them all three but summarize with the three top tips yeah i think uh well from what we've said uh this morning i think Top tips are regular dialogue rather than, you know, your great big conversations about whatever it's about. Have Being there, number two, open to have conversations. Um, you know, listening out for those moments where you hear, actually, this per- this young person, my child, 
um, wants to have a conversation about this, I put down whatever I'm, whatever I'm doing and I just give them that time. Um, and then finally, I think, don't take it personally. If people don't want to have a conversation at the time you think it's needed, be patient mm. um, and wait for the right time. Obviously, if it's a really urgent situation, you might have to, you might have to not wait too long, mm. um, but you can certainly wait half an hour, you know, to, to let them climatize themselves to the fact that, okay, we do need to talk about this mm. uh, and think about where you're gonna have that conversation and make it a bit easier. Trap them in the car, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. Deb's always a pleasure to chat and um, I'm sure we'll have you on uh, co-hosting episodes uh, soon. Looking forward to it. You've been listening to the My Family Coach podcast. Thank you for joining us as we lift the lid on the challenging world of child behaviour. There's heaps more helpful advice for all your parents and needs on the My Family Coach website. Thanks again and I'll see you next time.